Uh, it's my privilege to serve with the deacons of Calvary as interim pastor at Calvary for the time that the Lord has given us, and I've been very blessed to know godly men like Brian, who are praying for each of you, or seeking the Lord uh, fully, uh, so let's continue to hold them up as they lead us as a congregation. What a privilege to gather together in Jesus' name around uh, his word in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit today, even on Mother's Day. Uh, so there's a special gift for you mothers at the end of the service. Uh, you can look forward to that. We've been talking about what the Bible says about the church. Uh, bride fit for the king. The church is the bride of Christ being made pure and white in preparation for the wedding supper of the Lamb. And that's the hope of all believers. We started out talking about the ten virgins, the wise and the foolish, and those wise virgins that have uh, the unending hope and faith through Christ to be prepared when the second coming happens. We talked about the church being the new humanity through Christ as the last Adam, comparing Christ to Adam, and now he is beginning a new humanity, a new heaven and a new earth where justice will reign. Uh, and the builder of that is Jesus. You'll remember Brother Glenn coming in with his building tools and teaching us how to uh, lay a foundation around a cornerstone, Jesus being the cornerstone. And then how we grow as a body is through speaking the truth or following the truth in love. We grow up into him who is the head. Uh, and that makes us, our very bodies, as his tabernacle, moving around in the world as containers of God through the Holy Spirit who fills us up. And as we mature more and more, he increases and we decrease as uh, Christ's body, that we are living stones built into a spiritual house. We talked about uh, last week being the flock. I talked to Pastor Samuel and Ruth yesterday. Shushu is just fine. He's happy to be back in his pasture. Said he didn't want to come to church this morning. I asked him if he had accepted Jesus last week, and they weren't sure. But he's happy to be with his mother this morning instead of being with us, I think. And today, I would love us to talk about how the Bible sees the church as a family. The Bible says that we are a family in various places, in many uh, indications. We are the family of God. By the way, uh, I did send out an outline of last week's sermon on the group WhatsApp, on the Calvary WhatsApp. You would have received it from Douglas. The purpose of that is just so that I can share you, with you what the Lord has given with me, for you to share it in your family, in your small group, uh, with friends. Uh, there's a, a basic outline with some questions that should take you uh, 20 minutes to an hour, if you're talkative, uh, to go through the very message that we've received on Sunday and use that for application and, and uh, accountability. I hope you're in a small group of some kind, because Sunday morning is not enough for you to uh, share life with each other, be a community, and keep each other accountable. So if you're not... Uh, talk to Dale, talk to Walter, talk to any of the deacons, anybody actually here at Calvary of how you might get connected. We are Jesus' family. We are Jesus' family. The church is not primarily a building. It's not a place that you go to. It's a place you can gather. But it's made of people. It's not an institution. It's not a Sunday social club. Sometimes it looks like that. It's not a set of religious rules or even less 
a place to purchase religious blessings and products. So often, it looks like an exchange. You bring your offering, and you get blessed. You bring your offering, and you get taught. You bring your offering, and maybe you'll be protected this week, and COVID won't get you. That's not the Bible's view of the church. The church is a family growing together, uh, adding new brothers and sisters all the time through new birth. And I'd like us to go uh, just now to Matthew chapter 12. And please do open your Bible to, that, to this short passage, Matthew 12, 46 to 50. And we're going to look at some things Jesus says about the church. Uh, the church is an eternal family fathered by God in Christ through new birth in the Spirit. That's the, the essence of the message we have from this passage this morning. This is what uh, Matthew 12 says in the ESV. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. In 1986, I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and my teaching certificate at Wheaton College, and I didn't have a place to live. I needed one more semester to finish student teaching, and I found myself with no place to live and no money. Uh, so my lovely girlfriend, Susanna, asked her lovely mother, my future mother-in-law, if I could possibly live in her house. Well, her mother was overjoyed. In fact, Susanna said, my friends think it's really weird that my boyfriend's going to live at my house. She was not living there at the time. She lived with uh, students on campus in an apartment. And so her parents were empty nesters. They had this house with no one in it. And I moved in with Susanna's parents. Well, her mother thought that was wonderful. In fact, she said, my friends think it's awesome that I'm getting to know my daughter's boyfriend. Um, and I would have dinner with them each evening, uh, and we got to be really close. We became family. We became family that semester that I was finishing my bachelor's degree. And Susanna says she would come home on the weekends, and she felt like I was closer to her parents than she was. She wasn't living at home, and I was, and we had all of this sort of inside conversation going, and we became family. That's my prayer for us, that as Calvary, we would become more and more of a family, not so much focused just on the Sunday morning service or the institutional structure that we have, but people, loving people, caring for people, bringing new members in through the new birth in Christ. And that's the way Jesus represents it here. Let's look a little bit at the setting. If you go, turn the page over to Matthew chapter 13, and I hope you do have a, an electronic copy of the scripture or your own uh, physical Bible. Uh, it says that that same day, or this, this same occurrence, Jesus went out of the house, so he's sitting in a house, and sat by the sea. Okay, so we know that this is a beach town. Now here's a little map. I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but right in the middle of that map is Nazareth. Uh, it's right, under those three names of cities, it says Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up. That was his hometown. You know, he was born in Bethlehem. They became refugees to Egypt for a while, but then when they came back, they moved up to Nazareth. And they lived there probably most of the time Jesus spent on earth before he was 30 years old when he became 
uh, the, the, began to minister publicly as the savior of the world. And then he moved to Capernaum. Capernaum was his main center of ministry, which is right up above the word sea. Uh, you'll see a long word there. It's kind of small, but that's Capernaum. Most likely, this is occurring in Capernaum. By the sea, it's where a lot of the, the fishermen that he called to follow him lived. Uh, in fact, here in, in chapter 13, it says, uh, great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. This is the Sermon on the Beach. We talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we don't talk very much about the Sermon on the Beach. He's sitting in a boat probably to, to uh, augment the sound of his voice for all of these multitudes to hear him sitting on the beach. So Jesus is in a house in chapter 12, probably packed out with people wanting to hear and the Bible says in verse 46, while he was still speaking, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. What a stark definition of what it means to be, uh, to think you're part of the family and yet not, not be inside. Uh, notice that it says, while Jesus was speaking, all of the people were listening, but his family, his biological family was outside. Wanting to do what? Wanting to talk to him. They didn't want to listen. In fact, the Bible says his brothers didn't believe in him yet. His mother probably didn't believe fully and understand yet. You can see why. These people had grown up with him. Jesus has an earthly family. Mark chapter 3. Uh, tells us a little bit about why they may have come. It says, when he went home, the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. His biological family didn't understand his ministry, felt like he'd gone crazy. Let's bring him home uh, where he can settle down and get back to normal, which is the way we grew up. Who is, who is this family? Did Jesus really have biological brothers and sisters? Well, if you look at Mark, Matthew 13 again, the end of chapter 13, uh, 53 and onward, it says, and when Jesus had finished these parables, this is the Sermon on the Beach, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, so he walked all the way back to Nazareth, took a long day's walk or maybe two days to get all the way back, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get the, this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? These were his hometown friends, his schoolmates, saying, we know where this guy's from. He's nobody special. He grew up here. No wonder his brothers didn't believe. Imagine being the little brother of Jesus. The older brother that never got in trouble at school. Mom never got upset at him like she gets upset at you because he never did anything wrong. And so you're constantly waiting to find something so you can tattle and tell mom, hey, I guess what Jesus did. And you never find anything. But they grew up knowing Jesus intimately as a, as a man, as a boy, as a person. He, he, sometimes he smelled sweaty right? How could this be the Messiah? How could this be the Son of God? You understand that, humanly speaking, they, they knew too much about his physical origins to believe the miracle that this was God in the flesh. 
Now we know that, that some of them at least came to believe in Christ. James became the leader of the church. He was martyred for Christ in 62 AD. Uh, Jude is probably, Judas here is probably the Jude that wrote the book of Jude, the letter of Jude. And James may very well be the, book, the, the writer of the book of James. So they did come to an understanding eventually. Mary for sure came to an understanding. And you'll remember at the cross, Jesus tells the apostle John, behold your mother. And to Mary, behold your son. Most likely Joseph has passed away. And Mary's there uh, as a member of the eternal family of Jesus now, not just his biological mother, but his spiritual mother as well. And Jesus is connecting his own family with two non-biological people saying, you're now family in me, your family. That's the miracle of the gospel. His family, his biological family, was outside wanting to talk to him. His disciples were inside listening. And my question to you is, where are you? Who is Jesus' mother in this place? Who is Jesus' brother and sister? So you can see there, I've just kind of made this as a, a, a graphic to help us understand the centrality of Christ. There were people around him wanting to hear, wanting to listen, trying to be quiet so they could absorb every word, so they could do it. So they could obey it. Then there were others on a, on a, on a wider uh, circle there for curiosity. Maybe there to even criticize. Probably there were religious leaders there looking for ways to uh, accuse him later. There were those waiting to, be, to receive something. Maybe wanting to be fed with fish and bread or to be healed. To receive something. That's the, outer, the, the, the farther ring. And then all the way outside are these people who think they're in. They think they have authority over Jesus and they're actually on the outside. Wanting to speak. And I, as I pray, prepared this message this week, I thought, I am trembling. That there may be people listening to my voice either right here with us or online who are in one of those three categories. Are you on the outside thinking you're in and you're not? Are you just an observer or did you just come to Calvary to receive something this morning? Not to listen and participate and be a member of Jesus' family. Jesus also has an eternal family. I want you to notice that verse 47 is missing. In most English translations, they've left out 47 uh, because earlier manuscripts were found that didn't have it. So most likely verse 47, which simply says, a man came to him and said, your mom and your brothers are outside. That's all the verse said. Uh, someone tried to, to uh, clarify a little bit or wrote that in. Some scribe decided to add that. And uh, it's not in most of the early manuscripts. And so they have left that number out and they continue to leave 48 and 49. I like to think of that as the pause between the question and the answer. So Jesus looks around. Somebody says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus says, who is my mother? Well, what a question. Don't you know who your mother is? Who are my brothers? You know them better than we do. You grew up with them. But Jesus is being didactic. He's being teaching. And he says, and he points to those that were right around him, those that followed him, those that obeyed, those that helped and served and said, these are my brother, brothers and sisters and mother, those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. The doers are his 
heavenly family. Notice he doesn't say father. We all have one father. The father in heaven is our father in heaven. I had the privilege of growing up on a missionary base in Columbia, South America, Wycliffe base with 200 English-speaking missionaries. In fact, uh, when I finally married Susanna and we went to the mission field about nine months after she was done with college, we went back to that same base and lived there for five years teaching school to all of the children of the Wycliffe uh, uh, missionaries. Those people were my aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters. Uh, I called them Uncle Tom and Aunt Judy and Uncle George and Aunt Dorothy and uh, now and then we'd go back to the U.S. to visit our churches and I'd meet my real biological cousins. Well, maybe not real, biological cousins. And I'd think, okay, what's your name again? And oh yeah, you're my mom's sister's son. And uh, so trying to put all those pieces together was a little strange for a missionary kid who just grew up with aunts and uncles in the mission of God who were truly family, marching in the direction of the filling of all things with the knowledge of Christ. They were my family. And I think that's a spiritual view. I think that's the way we should all look at the people we're sitting with right now who do the will of our Father in heaven. That's how Jesus saw it. Paul also saw this. Galatians 6 says that all those who are in Christ, who are Christ's, are Abraham's offspring. We are the continuation of the family of faith in Abraham if you have accepted Christ, if you have believed the promise is fulfilled in Christ and you have come into Christ through his rent body on the cross. Like we talked about last week, Jesus says, I am the door. No one comes in except through me. And then Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 10, his body is the veil that was rent. So his body opens up a way for us to come in to the eternal family of the Trinity and be a brother or a sister or a mother of the Lord. Paul talks about uh, the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's your family. As a follower of Jesus, that's your priority. Be careful not to make your biological family more of a priority than your spiritual, eternal family in Christ. Our allegiance, our love, our priority is those who do the will of the Father in heaven by grace through faith. That's our family. Claim that identity if you are in Christ. And then finally, 1 Timothy talks about a young leader of the church treating older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and younger men as brothers. Uh, create a culture of family, Paul says to Timothy, as he leads the, the church. Not an institution, not just a gathering, a meeting, but a family that loves and cares and honors one another. In a family, you don't have any choice. You don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. You're born into that family. You get what you get. Now and then, uh, all of us think about, well, maybe I need to go to another church. There are, there are times to do that. There's a reason to do that, especially if the word is not being preached or followed. That's the time to say, time to cut and run. Go find somewhere where the, the word is preached. But most of the time, you work it out because it's your family. You can't escape the family of God. You're going to live with them forever. So you might as well figure out how to do that now. Right? You don't get a choice. God has given you your brothers and sisters. In fact, I would say the sovereignty of God has placed us, this group right here, right now, to be his church at Calvary. Family has a resemblance. 
a family resemblance. I was thinking about that this week. I bet Mary and Jesus looked, looked a lot alike. Not blonde hair and blue eyes, like you see Jesus a lot of times in old books. Probably curly black hair and brown eyes. Maybe a great big nose. Isaiah 53 said he had no form or majesty that we should be attracted to him. He wasn't a good-looking guy. But he and Mary had a resemblance physically that showed that they were family. Do you and I have a resemblance in the spirit of doing the will of God the Father, following Jesus with the way we live and think and speak and act and spend our money? There's a family resemblance in the family of God. There's discipline in a family. Hebrews 12 says, God is disciplining you as sons and daughters. If God is not disciplining you, you're not his child. And if you're going through a hard time and you are a child of God, you know that you can trust his goodness even in that difficulty because there's discipline in a family for the purpose of strengthening us in the faith and purifying us from sin. And finally, a family is forever. I remember my mother saying goodbye to me when I left that mission base and went off to Wheaton College, and she said, she took me aside at the door, and she said, you will always be my son. She said, sometimes we make bad choices, we do stupid stuff, and mess up our lives. I want you to know that nothing you could do would stop you from being my son. That gave me an incredible confidence and also a motivation to honor her and please her and not to do those messy things in college. But I knew that she would always welcome me back, that I would always be her son. Family is forever. It doesn't stop when you leave Calvary or move out of Brazil. We are connected in Christ eternally. And let's love each other with that in mind. But as we finish, I need to say that brotherhood is by birth. Brotherhood is by birth. The fact that Jesus looked around at his disciples and said, these are my brothers and sisters because they do the uh, the will of my Father in heaven is not to say that you can do those things and become a son or daughter of God, a brother of Jesus. It's not the way to become. It's the way to identify. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. And all who have actually come in through that rent veil of the body of Christ Know that nothing you can do would ever pay for your sin. No ladder that you climb will take you to full engagement and membership in the body of Christ. It is by faith. And I need to say, too, that not all people are sons and daughters of God. Some people have the mistaken opinion that everybody's a child of God. We're all children of God. You see that said a lot. Well, when you hear that, raise your hand. Say, uh, excuse me, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in John 1, 11 to 13, he came to his own, that's the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, and then it explains how to do that, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They weren't before. They got the right by faith through God's grace in Christ, and God gave them the right to become children of God. Children, it says, not born, uh, let me read it, not born of blood, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. John 3, 3 says you must be born again. You have to be born twice. You have to be born by faith, by receiving and accepting Christ. Then you become a brother or a sister or a mother of Jesus, and your heart is changed. You want to do his will. You say like Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. Not to become, but because 
you became. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 must be read again. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But listen to verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's the will of, of the Father in heaven, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The difference is between becoming a brother or sister and mother of Jesus or living like one and recognizing them. We read Matthew 25 earlier about the sheep and the goats. At the coming of the Son of Man with fire and his angels, there will be a judgment. And the sign of his brothers and sisters will be the way they lived. Not the way they became brothers and sisters, but the identifying factor will be you lived for love through Christ and not just for yourselves. And so the way you can tell in your own case, whether you were part of that outside circle of people who were just there for curiosity, people who were just there to receive something, people who were just there to criticize or to observe or to go away a little bit happier or richer or blessed, is whether your heart has been changed from self-absorption and self-orientation to God-oriented, love-oriented. How can I serve you today, Lord? You have purchased me with your blood. I belong to you. How can I do your will and not my own? That desire in your heart is the identification of the brother of Jesus, of the sister of Jesus, and of your brother and your sister and your mother today. Let's apply this. How do we do the will of God? Well, they asked that question kind of in John 6, 29. And if you want to go there, you can. But uh, note this verse down. They, they asked Jesus, how shall we do the works of God? They wanted to multiply fish and bread. They wanted to heal people. And Jesus says, the work of God is this. You remember? To believe in the one he has sent. The first step of every work of God is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe that you're able to save this child off of the street. I believe you're able to bring my relative to faith in Christ. I believe you're able to take my little gift and multiply it to feed a multitude. Faith is always the first work. It's always the first step. The work of God is this. Trust Christ. Believe in the one he has sent. Paul even says, as you received Christ, so walk in him. It's always by grace through faith that we even obey. But the, the Lord does say some other things about what God's will is. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Uh-oh. I think we could stay there for a while. Rejoice when? Always. Always. Pray continually. Pray continually. So you're rejoicing in hope of Jesus, but you still got stuff to pray about, right? So you rejoice and you pray at the same time. And then at the end, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That recipe should describe our lives. Rejoice always. Give thanks. Pray continually. Pray constantly. Those who do the will of my Father in heaven are my brothers and sisters. That's how we should live. That's the will of God according to the scripture. 
And then a couple of other things. Seek to save the lost. His will is not that any should perish. He has no pleasure in the death of, of sinners. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He is waiting for us to preach the gospel to every creature and every ethnic group. If we live that way, if we long to see what he longs to see, it, it's evidence of the Spirit in us. And then James 1.27, of course, says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, our Father. See, there's family again. Our Father has a way for us to live, has a way for us to even be religious, and that is to visit, to care for widows and orphans in their distress according to his heart. I like 1 Timothy 5.10 this as well. Uh, it talks specifically about women, widows. The context here is what widows should do to do the will of God. It says, if she has brought up children, bringing up children is doing the will of the Father. If she has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, then Paul says the church should care for that kind of widow because they're part of the family. They're a sister of Jesus. They're a mother of Jesus. Later on today, I'm going to go visit my Mainafe. Uh, this is Clemilde Dusheis. I met her in 1996 when we first came to work with Abba in Sao Paulo. Susanna and I came to help rescue children that had been abandoned. Um, and Dona Clemilde came from Bahia, joined our team in 1997. Uh, 90, actually, she was here when I got here. But in 97, my own biological mother passed away of cancer. Uh, she, did, she only knew our first two children. Uh, so she's in heaven waiting for us to come. But I, I took Clemilda as my mother in replacement of my mother, one of them. I have various ones that I call uh, my zona. Uh, but we will go and, and give her a hug this afternoon. Clemilda uh, and her husband ran a house that would take all the leftovers, all the remnant. Anyone that couldn't go back to their biological home or was too old or messed up to be adopted, Clemilda would say, send them to me, send them on to me. And she adopted 10 from Abba, besides her biological kids. That's why she's my mother. That's why she's Jesus' mother. She did the will of our Father in heaven. This week I, I found myself weeping almost uncontrollably, sitting in my carport as I uh, received messages from Pakistan. You may remember the video that I showed in December of a man named Aziz. He had a brown turban on and we had uh, been uh, working with him in his little community of brick-making slaves in a brick factory. Aziz has lived for three generations in the same little hovel in this brick factory, started making bricks when he was five years old, like his dad did, inherited the debt of his grandparents, and was trying desperately to pay that debt off. Uh, when he learned the gospel, stopped spending money that he didn't have, began to live a righteous life and teach the word to the people around him, but still was in slavery, and then the Lord provided a little piece of land through his wife's uh, family. He inherited a little plot of land. And action friends from around the world raised money for him to build a little house there and move out. And they moved out last week. And seeing Aziz move out of his slavery into freedom and then start a little Bible study in his new house and, and worshiping the Lord with this little gathering of Pakistani believers, I thought, that's my brother, that's my sister. My brother Azam helped him move out of slavery. And our family is rescuing the lost by the power of the gospel. And I was just so overjoyed, moved to see, this, these are my people, this is our tribe. We are part of the family of Jesus continuing his work. And I hope that's you this morning. 
Uh, would you stand with me as the worship team comes back? We're going to worship a little more, but, and you guys can keep, uh, keep moving forward, but close your eyes. First of all, make sure you've come through the door. There's only one door into the family, and that's through the new birth in Christ. His body was torn to make you a door so that you could walk through under the sprinkling of his blood that covers all our sin and makes us new creatures in Christ, a new identity, a new inheritance, a new family. But then secondly, maybe, maybe you've become sleepy and passive and you think that grace is all just waiting for the rapture, waiting for the second coming. Ask the Lord to rise up in you with the desire to do the Father's will. Faith that saves, saves alone, but it never stays alone. It always produces obedience. Father, anoint us. Make us your family, your expression of heavenly love and culture on the earth. Use us to do your will, and we'll give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.